0: You'll rarely hear anyone say that you're over communicating. But what you will hear is that with the influx of communication platforms, especially when it comes to messaging and email services, that there are more ways to communicate than ever before. And that makes it challenging for a business to understand what's happening. With so much data and messaging coming and going through a system, finding a way to sift through each of those messages, decipher it, and identify what is meaningful is becoming increasingly more difficult. Take simple tasks like indexing attachments. Does every company need to build their own indexing system? Or should reading attachments and extracting information just be productized? API services are growing. And like how Stripe offers payments and Twilio offers messaging, Nylas offers communication intelligence via API.
1: Email has over 3 billion active users today, and it's rapidly growing to, will be over 5.5 billion by 2025. That intuitively makes sense. Everyone with a smartphone has an email address. Everyone with internet access at all has an email address. And it's this repository of not only like all your personal activity, but it's absolutely the database of how you run your business and do a lot of interaction from there across your calendar, across your address book, across your email. It handles a lot of information going in
0: and out of it. And it's a natural jumping off point. Gleb Polyakov is the CEO and co-founder of Nihilus, where he leads strategy, operations, and product innovation for the company's communication API platform. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Gleb details how he led Nylas through a pivot moment three years ago and when the product shifted from a consumer-facing software to a back-end API company. Plus, Gleb details how your first idea is never your best one. Keep listening. IT Visionaries, coming up now.
2: it visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by salesforce platform the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience innovate fast empower every employee and scale with confidence from anywhere with a customer at the center of everything you do learn more at salesforce.com platform
0: welcome everyone to another episode of it visionaries and today we have the ceo of Nylas, Gleb Polyakov. Gleb, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thank you very much. All right. So right out the gate, what exactly is
1: Nylas? Yeah, Nylas, we are a developer platform for productivity infrastructure. If you have any uh, productivity, collaboration, customer engagement use case, we provide the back end APIs and the front end components to quickly and easily build that Uh, integration, that uh, end user experience, that scheduling flow, that intelligence layer that you need to parse your unstructured communications data and to build robust features either internally or externally that get get the job done. Uh, Whether it's figuring out how to schedule a meeting across multiple people, whether it's figuring out how to do sentiment analysis across all the different prospects that you're speaking with, whether it's figuring out how to pull in the invoice or parse data out of a pdf or build a knowledge graph of who knows who and how strong that connection
0: strength is we can help you get that done with just a few lines of code okay so one of the things that we always talk with founders about is you know a lot of the times whether it's marketing talk whether it's the description of the product we always want to dive deeper because one of the things that we'll find out i'll use we we joke about in every episode people that say ai like ai is used ai ml are the most i think now Possibly the most overused letters of all time, right? Because no one knows when you say "yeah, hey, what what does that mean? Talk to me about what is a customer experience when they use the Nylas platform. Uh, so, what's something they like maybe couldn't do before, and then after implementing you, they can do now? Do
1: yeah, I think for us, the interesting thing we found is our product has a lot of capability underneath, or even just on off the shelf. Uh, but folks really start off with just the basic table stakes functionality that we offer and then build on top of that. So for us, what that means is the basic table stakes functionality is really just like exposing the customer's calendars, making sure you have bi-directional syncing for email, uh, for chat, for uh, whatever the communication aspect is within your application. First, we help you with the connectivity piece. We make sure that you're able to access that data, that it's not just a huge block of text that you have to figure out, that it's actually in a, readily usable form for both your end users and your developers who are going to be building that functionality so from there uh, folks then go into like the higher order functionality once they are a crm customer that is able to connect the contents of the mailbox into a sales conversation in their crm then you can add on the higher order functionality around sentiment analysis or whatever else you might be doing that's a little bit fancier but at the very beginning is always like the first building block, the foundation, which is getting access to the data in the first place, making sure it's what you need and making sure it's automatically syncing in both directions so that you can receive messages and also send them out with guaranteed uh, engagement. Gotcha. So
0: Nylas, is it primarily used by customer service, sales organizations, or who, is, who uses the product?
1: Our product is used by developers. So our core audience is the engineering community okay. and the product community at software companies. So we're a company that focuses on B2B software companies primarily. I would say they're about 70% of our customer base.
0: Gotcha. So I didn't, I didn't quite understand that part because you had talked about a lot about is within the communication side, but so, so I automatically, you know, by default assumed to the service organization or the sales organization. So what is it that I guess, you know, one of the things, cause there's a stat on your company's website and says that your communication APIs are currently used globally across more than 22 countries and you enable developers to build apps that integrate with 100% of email calendar and contact providers in as little as four lines of code. It's the value proposition. So developers are using Nylas to build communication tools across different platforms. Is that accurate?
1: That's right. Yeah. So the distinction here is that there's, sort of three different layers in the layer cake that make up the the communications stack. stack. You have at the very top, your apps, these these are your your Zooms and your Slacks. These are the software tools that have a very defined, very set user experience. And the company is just geared towards just getting people onto that set front end user experience. Uh, Again, Slack, Zoom, they build the tool and they deliver it, distribute it to the businesses themselves. Then where we are is the second tier down, the abstraction layer. This is where companies like, uh, like Nylas sit, like Quilio sit. We provide the, the picks and shovels, the tools that those apps use to build that functionality. So uh, for us, we have a tremendous amount of customers um, in the sales space, in the marketing space, legal, HR, fintech. Um, but the list goes on not because of uh, a lack of focus on our part, but more so because it's uh, a functionality that's needed across industries. Gotcha. So we are not necessarily a sales tool, though I would say in the first year or two of the business, we saw a tremendous amount of traction in the CRM space.
0: Gotcha. So like, um, cause I'm trying, you know, I want to, we want to help our audience understand the product and a little understand about your background behind the product too. So the, the product, it sounds very similar, but I know it's not similar, but it sounds similar or this is how I would explain it. Like Zapier, the product will take advantage of a native built functions APIs. Whereas a tool like Nylas will say like, okay, if there's not native function connectability between two products, between product A and product B, then you would use a product like Nylas to connect these two products. Is that more accurate? Sort of. So there exists this
1: category of integration companies, right? So these are the segments, the Zapiers, the MuleSofts, Workato, Trey.io. They all sort of fall into this bucket. But they're not really giving integration. I mean, they're excellent companies, excellent technology, but all they're doing is building connectors. You can think of Malice a lot more like a oil refinery. We're giving our customers access into this super messy, but very valuable and also hard to work with data store. We're putting okay. it through our refinery process, and then we're giving them just the high octane fuel they need to you know, drive their F1 car or the rocket ship or whatever analogy you want to go with. right? <laughs>
0: No, that makes sense. You, you kind of mentioned it a little bit, but I want to dive into it a little deeper. How did you figure out that this problem existed?
1: Yeah, uh, it was a interesting path for us as a company. So we started off originally with the idea of building one of those end user apps ourselves, the email client, very similar to like a superhuman or a mailbox, if you're familiar with us. Yep. That business didn't end up working out uh, for, for a variety of reasons, mainly um, churn was really high uh, across the customer base. People didn't like paying the, the $12, $15 a month uh, across all the different platforms. And we saw something like 30% churn within 90 days for any cohort that we'd sign up. That, that's hard, <laughs> that's hard, that's rough. <laughs> it makes it really rough to <laughs> build a business of any, any substantial size. Uh, but at the same time, we had open sourced our APIs. Uh, the backend APIs that the company is entirely focused on now, because we'd actually use them to build the mail client in the first place. You can think of us sort of as like a B2B API backend version of a superhuman or of a front app, where if you want to build any similar functionality like that, you can do it on top of our platform. And so while one business in the first two years of the company was doing quite poorly, the email client. I, I, a lot of metrics. It was doing well. All right, we got uh, something like four hundred thousand users sign up in the first six months. We had a nice spike in revenue. We got a, a lot of interesting data. We improved the functionality. We got you know twenty five thousand stars on GitHub. So a lot of like fun metrics we can point to. But there wasn't a real path to a you know multi hundred million business. We weren't going to build a multi billion dollar company out of just this email client. Mm-hmm. At the same time, we had the open source APIs. We saw a tremendous amount of adoption and use within B2B companies horizontally across really disparate industries uh, coming in and using our our product on that end. And we chose like, hey, the dynamics are much better here. The API business, the API space in general is one that is characterized by very high use of retention. For us, our our gross retention is something like 98, 99% and very high expansion. So uh, it's similarly for us. Uh, we're well above the 200% range for net dollar expansion on a cohort basis. If you look at companies like Stripe, like Twilio, like Plaid, you're going to see similar dynamics, right? Mm-hmm. And as we all know,
0: when you combine retention with expansion, that's how you build a hypergrowth business. So when all these, these customers were using your API stack for email, they were integrating email into all these different applications and services that they were building themselves. You mentioned right out the gate, you noticed that there was, that was the piece of the business that was taking off. Did you kind of understand, did you understand at that time? Because there was a rise or, you know, the, like you mentioned Plaid, you already mentioned Stripe, like the API first companies that have exploded, but did, was this really self-evident to you around the time that this was happening? Or did it, it's just more like, Hey, this is what my customers are doing. Let's just double down in this arena versus uh, continuing building out our other core suite of applications.
1: Yeah, I mean, for us, it was a strategic decision that was pretty clear, like there wasn't too much hand wringing around it because you just have to look at the growth data and model that forward. It's clear where the tech industry is going in general. Right. The state change that we're going through is that companies are more and more wanting to both own the data and make the deployment of any sort of process uh, a lot easier. So this is what the rise of the cloud, right? This is the exact same value prop that's offered by an AWS. Mm-hmm. Why run your own data center when you can just use this one? Free up your engineering resources to focus on the things that are actually giving you revenue, actually delighting your customers at the end of the day, which is not, you know, trying to uh, build a 24-7 security center and coloing
0: somewhere. As you built this out, what were some of the cool I guess were you aware or were you recognizing some of the applications people were developing on top of your APIs? Do you ever think to yourself, oh man, I wish I had made those myself, or was it just cool seeing your APIs being utilized in so many different products?
1: Yeah, well, that's one of the fun parts. So for us, we have uh, each and every month, we get use cases that we would not have expected to see on Hover API. It is always really interesting to look at the, we have our sales team, it sends out to the whole company every time we close a deal, a little note on the use case, and they'll uh, close one reason. But uh, every once in a while, We'll get, a, we'll get an odd one. I think the most recent one was a uh, executive matchmaking site for folks who have high profile jobs and are looking to, to find love. We have the world's largest marketplace for selling caster wheels. Those little wheels that go on the bottom of the tables. Okay. <laughs> uh, and the list goes on and on, right? It's a bunch of just interesting stuff that comes in. My favorite was uh, last year for Christmas, um, before the coronavirus, when we still met in person, um, we went over to my wife's family's house for Christmas and uh, they had gotten grandma this like LCD picture frame. You know, like you might see a target. It was called a skylight frame. They came on and uh, basically for an hour, the family spent like going through their phones and emailing the pictures to the picture frame so that it would show up automatically. And as I was doing this, I like loaded up our our company Slack and I pinged uh, customer success real quick. And it turned out that this was actually one of our customers already. Uh, It was really, (laughs) really fun to see the Niles API in an IoT use case uh, by surprise on Christmas. (laughs)
0: That's awesome. By the way, I think that use case example, I mean, I don't know about our other audience members, but now it makes it perfectly clear to me what you guys were trying to do, right? This IoT frame company says, hey, how do we ensure we can capture images that people want to send to it on a cloud-based situation, where we can build our own application, integrate it with Nylas, that can then capture via email forwarding the images, pull it right out of the email, and then show it in the frame, uh, based on account authentication. So, for anyone who's listening that didn't capture exactly what Gleb just said, that's exactly one of the many use cases of why I use a product like Nylas to build on. Right.
1: That's right. No, that's right. And the core sort of theme there, the base of what we do is that software is very useful when it comes to adding additional leverage to any sort of business process. And when you look at what is a business process, it turns out that most of it has to do with human interaction. It's either communicating with another human being in some way or doing the logistics for a later interaction for, with another human being, or it's trying to understand what they meant who they know, how to get into better access with them. <laughs> and then the there, other bucket, of course, is like doing interesting things on, you know, crunching manufacturing data that has nothing to do with people. But quite a lot of it comes down to how do I add additional leverage to the way I collaborate and am productive with other human beings? And so that shows up in a lot of ways. We have several different IoT use cases, which are always really, really cool. We have folks like um, Hyundai and Comcast as customers. They use us, Hyundai, for example, for their Genesis line in Toronto, used us for doing all the test drive scheduling. Whenever you wanted to test drive one of their uh, upper lines of cars, we would power that scheduling flow that connected the dealerships, the resources they had with their end users in a smooth, seamless way. We work with companies like uh, move.com, realtor.com. These are these home buying websites that I'm sure you've seen. The way I use them is that I look at a bunch of houses that I could never afford in San Francisco, and I have a bunch of tabs open. (laughs) But the reason they use us is because uh, compared to like your transactional email senders, uh, we allow them to automatically, very, very quickly and reliably send out emails to their end users we have a h- near 100 as you're going to get percent deliverability rate because we're sending directly from a personal mailbox mm-hmm. and we can guarantee the the responses Our engagement is 30% higher than a transactional sender as measured by click through rate uh, across all the different industries we serve into and that's mainly because it it looks like it's coming from a real person because it is it's not you know via this string of letters and numbers at email.com it's the exact same reason folks use this on the sales side as well the hr side the fintech side it comes down to how can i do one to one communications at scale. How can I leverage increase the leverage I have in my productivity, and how can I increase the intelligence I have on what's being done?
0: Yeah, this is uh, this is this is awesome. Uh, hearing hearing you explain some of the the thought process behind this. I'm curious for yourself. How did you get into software development? That's a great
1: question. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> so for me, originally, I was always
1: a giant geek. I studied physics back in college and school. Even before that, I was a giant just nerd of all ways. Um, <laughs> did learn how to? Uh, I think we learned Python and primarily MATLAB uh, at, at Georgia Tech where I went. But I was never a software developer.
0: By the way, we've had a run of Georgia Tech grads. Oh, really?
1: That's fun.
0: I mean, you, you're like the you're like the I want to say you're like the fifth Georgia Tech grad in the last six interviews. Okay. So. That school is spitting out some smart people, but, but continue on. So you, but you weren't—you said you weren't actually a software developer, but it sounds like you were very much into math and sciences.
1: Yeah, very much into math and science. And I, you know, I don't want to take the um, the grad title. I never, never officially got out of Georgia Tech. Um, I ended up taking a, a full time role before completing my degree, and then from that, from there, starting my own company, and then uh, that went through its own interesting journey. Uh, that was an IoT hardware play, my first VC-backed company. In the coffee space, we made a home espresso machine for seven hundred bucks that was just as good as a twenty thousand dollar commercial machine. Long, long story short, we ended up selling off um, all the IP to a different manufacturer. Okay, we got caught in the certification process, and whenever you have to remake tooling, that's like another two hundred thousand. And it was a couple of those cycles.
0: Yeah, was it a positive experience or uh, like a? Tell me about that experience, because it sounds like you kind of the economics of it forced you guys to move your hand a little maybe faster than you wanted to. But I'd love to hear your experience in that before uh, diving into how you started Nihilus. Yeah,
1: it was a overwhelmingly positive experience, I would say. I would absolutely do it again. It by no means was a a hugely successful venture, but I got to get firsthand experience, not only with a uh, a super interesting backer community, because we started off on Kickstarter. Uh, We were the number four most funded Kickstarter project of all time when we finished. Uh, our Kickstarter run. But that was this would have been like almost a decade ago at this point. So the, the competition <laughs> wasn't wasn't that hard. We were on the earlier Kickstarter projects. And I got to connect, learn about international business, sourcing and negotiating and doing the procurement from Europe, from Asia, from Mexico, doing a final assembly in San Diego. At uh, one point, one of our manufacturers in Kentucky, like, was holding hostage all of our inventory and goods for, for that we were going to send out the Kickstarter backers, uh, due to like a invoice that they were trying to get done because they had just sold their factory to a new owner, and like, I so I had to drive for, like twelve hours straight for a thirty minute meeting in Kentucky uh, just to get all the all the parts released. And it's a bunch of long stories like that, but it all adds up to a super positive experience. I was just speaking with uh, Spang, my CTO and co-founder here at Nihilus about it, where she makes the analogy to, uh, she's a lot more badass than I am and talks about mountain climbing, but entrepreneurship is uh, very stressful and uh, like anxiety ridden and abusive in the moment. But you forget that when you're thinking past it, um, you, you don't re-experience the bad parts in your memory and all you remember is like, oh, that was a ton of experience. That was really fun. That was a full adventure
0: we went on to get this thing done. Did you meet your co-founder at the, at the coffee company?
1: Um, no, I met Spang, uh, actually through a friend of mine from MIT. So I had finished the, the coffee company run and, uh, was looking for the my next opportunity through a friend, uh, Eric Fogg, actually got connected with Spang. And uh, yeah, it got along great. I was super impressed by her, not only just intelligence as a person, she's one of the smartest people I know, she just gets things done. But uh, also a a genuine, empathetic human being. It's like, great, this is is the beginnings of a really strong company. We have uh, a solid team, we have personality match, and we're working on an idea that is tremendously huge. Like when you look at the past you know, 10,000 years or so of human history. Uh, However, however broad and wide you want to go, it always comes down to three things. It's always been the same three industries that have always changed the world, affected people's lives, made the most money. And those have always been transportation, energy, and communication technologies. For us, it's things like the internet, things like the printing press, and we're at this inflection point with the technology space and the communication sector, especially with how technology is being built with who is buying technology and who is building the technology in the first place, the population developers that is putting the technology together.
0: So one of the things I think we might have accidentally skipped over is how did you learn to become a software developer? I know you, it's, it's obviously self-taught because we kind of skipped over that. We went to Georgia Tech, you were into maths and sciences, you ended up doing the, the coffee thing. How did you... Or what did you practice your software development chops on?
1: Yeah, no, I, I would not define myself as a software developer. I would never, never take that title.
0: Okay. I've
1: recently been kicked out of having admin permissions on the GitHub. So uh, if I'm never <laughs> in the code base, like pushing commits, then something has gone disastrously <laughs> wrong.
0: But you were at one point, right? You and Spang were, were doing this together, weren't you? Uh, I was doing more of the
1: business side. So Spang gotcha. ran the engineering function and I ran the sales, marketing, customer success, the softer side of things. So I, I have not made any contributions, any meaningful contributions to the Nihilus code base. That has all been our, our uh, wonderful tech team.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. You know, this is because it's so one of the things I always think about when we talk to successful founders in dev built tech applications or tools is like, how did they find out the problem existed? And this is always one of the more fascinating things because, uh, you know, if you think to the general public and who, let's let's imagine like the next wave of engineers or people that are going to solve problems when they're sitting there, let's say not in college yet, or what are they thinking about? You know, are they thinking about building email APIs for business communication apps? Probably not, you know, <laughs> you know, what I mean? like they're, they're, that's probably not how they're thinking about it unless they've experienced the problem. So I always like talking to people about like, how did you find out first the problem existed? But it sounds like here you, you found out the opportunity existed based upon building a couple of different things for a different purpose and then seeing all the users gravitating toward that use case.
1: Ooh, that's right. That's, that's a super interesting point because uh, I think there are different, different ways to approach it too. And when I'm talking to younger entrepreneurs or folks who are trying to get into entrepreneurship, the question is always like, how do I figure out what to work on? My stock answer to that is usually like it doesn't entirely matter. Like the, what matters more is the execution and that you start doing something. And I say that not because I actually think it doesn't matter what you work on, but more so because people get caught up in like an analyst paralysis type mode where they just yes. like try to optimize where like the perfect idea possible or be like, well, I don't have a billion dollar idea. It's like, well, I mean, try it out. Airbnb is not revolutionary. Again, great company. They had a tremendous IPO but they're running out houses right like it's it's not something that sounded great when they started it was not clear that they would have a, a tremendous multi-multi-billion dollar exit by IPO when that company began so don't expect your company to have that same obvious clear this will absolutely be a multi-billion dollar business on day 1 is my entrepreneur advice there yeah and then for Nihilus specifically spain definitely had the technology idea because she and um, one of her friends at MIT had been working on the problem directly. They were trying to build an email type of integration, email function. And so their solution was to abstract away all the complexity. It's a tremendously tough part. And email is where we started. We're obviously a lot more horizontal than just email now. But uh, the reason we started with email was, one, it is far and away the largest communication channel on earth. People are always uh, going to like, is email is an email dying? Is an email boring? And so, like, well, yeah, it's not the the sexiest thing in the communication space for sure. Uh, but it is rapidly growing. I don't know why. For the past fifty years, people have the impression that email is dying. Like the year after it came out, uh, there were articles written, I'm sure, about how it will go away soon. But email has over three billion active users today, and it's rapidly growing to it will be over five and a half billion. By 2025. (laughs) That kind of should intuitively make sense. Everyone with a smartphone has an email address. Everyone with internet access at all, especially with the rise of OAuth and SSO, has an email address. And it's this repository of not only like all your personal activity, but it's absolutely the database of how you run your business and do a lot of interaction from there across your calendar, across your address book, across your email. It handles a lot of information going in and out of it. And it's a natural jumping off point if you're trying to increase the leverage that you're getting from your productivity from your collaboration from your customer engagement through software
0: no it makes sense i mean i i, I can think of i can think of plenty of use applications i'm just going to use um oh, shoot now i can't i, I want to say expensify like expensify made you know how much more convenient smart email can make for work or productivity. I just remember the first time I ever used Expensify, people always say that's like, oh shit, that made my life easier kind of moment, was when I could forward all my receipts to just receipts at Expensify.com and it would just automatically drop my receipt, my expense report in for me. I mean, you're literally, I was a traveling salesman at the time. I mean, it was like literally hours of my week. Yep. It gave back to me. I couldn't believe it. and It was something so simple. But I love your approach, which is like build things because if you build things or try to build things, inevitably you will find a problem. And maybe that problem is worth it as a market in a company. But if you build nothing and just sit there pontificating, you would go nowhere.
1: <laughs> yep. No, that, that, that's 100% right. I mean, on Annihilus side, I think you, you've gotten the theme, right? So for us, a lot of the foundational integrations, the step one with us is connecting and just doing the logging in the first place, whether it's an Expensify. And we work with a couple of very similar companies where whenever a receipt pops up, whether it's a business expense or a couple of them are looking at, uh, you know, Amazon receipts or Macy's receipts, it'll automatically get logged in the platform because of that mailbox connection. Right. Similarly with folks like Ellie Mae or companies like Qualia that are Nihilist customers, they use us to, for example, drive down the time it takes to do mortgage underwriting or insurance origination because they're able to pre-populate a lot of those fields from the attachments that are sent back and forth from the content of messages and cut out a tremendous amount of inefficiency in that real estate buying process.
0: Listen, we were trying to switch um, PEOs. Are you familiar with PEOs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Yeah, you have to submit all your um, benefits, like elections, like where your employees are. And I was like, can I just dump out a report and you, I just give it to you? Like, why, why do I have to fill this all out? No, like, oh, you got to fill it all out. So, I mean, <laughs> their use cases are actually quite endless about how often we transfer. I mean, it also shows, I think it's, I mean, it's an exact example of how big the market actually has yet to go, right? Which is anytime someone asks you to send them email for information and it does not automatically go to whatever tool they're using, there's an opportunity basically for a product, whether someone builds a solution or builds a solution on top of a product like Nylas. I mean, that that's it. Like we're constantly, like you said, trading email and information and for what to happen for someone on the other side to literally open it and remove information from the email and put it somewhere else. That's what we're doing with our lives right now.
1: Yeah. I mean, and that's just step one, right? Like the, the data entry, (laughs) like there's a tremendous, like a huge untapped market. That's just like data entry automation. And that is not a hard technical challenge to solve at all. Once you get that piece done, and again, that's, that's like the, the one week with our APIs, we'll get that done for you. Uh, <laughs> on top of that, you now have a lot, of, a lot more interesting problems, quite honestly. You can get a lot of insights on the data. You can improve the process of what you're doing. You can surface up better experiences for your users, but it, it has to start with the data and then go from there.
0: Fascinating stuff. In this conversation specifically is reminding me about how when people try to solve problems that are really far out there. Like when we meet with uh, young entrepreneurs that have these really bold visions, I'm not saying they're wrong. They might be very much, they might very well be right. But sometimes the biggest problem is under your nose. Like if if you just look closer at what you're doing and what causes you pain every day, that's a problem. And that's a problem sometimes worth solving.
1: Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And so you're asking, how do we come up with the idea? How do we decide to do it? On the technical side from the CPO's office, the Spang was trying to solve a complex email problem. She was trying to build a and the user email client, a superhuman, a front app type tool. And it was super hard. You can make the trade-off that superhuman did where they only work for a very small subset of hardware, only work for a certain amount of Apple mailbox, uh, Apple uh, laptops with only a certain percentage of Gmail and Microsoft accounts that are on the newest version of APIs. Or you can make the uh, trade-off are like, okay, no, I want to support everyone. I want anyone to be able to sign up. And if you make that second appro- take that second approach, It is a nightmarish engineering challenge. So our solution to that was to take away, abstract a lot of that complexity, surface up what people are actually trying to get to on the email side, on the calendar side, whatever it is, and uh, go from there. We're still the only game in town when it comes to structuring unstructured data sets. And that is really our core unique IP on the technology side, is that we have this engine that connects and parses a lot of the contents of communication. You to do that if you
0: want to build that functionality. so that's one of the biggest races right now, right? People figuring out constantly how to exactly do what you said, do, do something, manage, extract unstructured data, and transform it in a way that's useful for another application or use case. That's right. I mean, that is one of the biggest problems. Why, in your perspective, why is, that, why is that so hard to do? So for example, if I were to write, if I were to type something, let's say an email, or it doesn't matter, uh, type something up of all these things I want done, but it's not a table, I'm not setting quantities, I'm not setting rates, it's just narrative paragraphs. Why is it so hard for applications right now to extract the information from that into something that's usable?
1: Yeah. I mean, awesome question. I think like a very simple example to point to here would just be like uh, signature parsing quote detection. If you look at, again, I, I don't want to uh, give the impression that we only deal with email, but it's, it's uh, the core wh- where we started. So it's, it's a great look. Yep. Like open up any like message thread in your mailbox that has people from probably different orgs in it and look at the way that they write their signature. If they read this at all, is there a block? How do you figure out where the text stops and the signature starts? How do you figure out like how to extract that? You can maybe get 70% of the way there with a, a series of regexes. You can maybe get like 80, 85% of the way there with a bunch of like uh, complex nested if functions uh, and you can, you can then call that AI, uh, maybe have it cleaned up by a metan- mechanical turking it out to real people or hiring someone in a low cost of labor geo, like add a human element and still sell it as AI. <laughs> yep. But the technical solution to structuring it, parsing it is a deep technical challenge. And it's tough to really get that across in a way that people grok uh, why that should be so hard because it's something that our brains do so easily. We can look and it's like, okay, that chunk is there. This chunk is there. Yeah. But if you look at like the actual text that your computer is parsing to display that it's not, if you like go into the Gmail and click show original uh, and see all the actual contents of the email, it's not at all in any way clear how to uh, consistently pull out the information so that you can update a content record based on the phone number that someone has listed at the end of their email. It's not at all clear how to like get rid of the opening lines, but hey, hello, just checking in type lines. I hope you're doing well. Right. (laughs) Get past a salutation where they're they're saying your name or responding to something else. How to display that, how to thread that, how to show like a history of a conversation uh, when you have like forwarded emails that then start their own branches. A lot of these things like, get real complex real fast, and what we provide for folks is the ability to surface up that data in a very quick, elegant way. So for us, for example, we have a, a signature parsing API that is very much, at least now, it's very much AI ML built and run. Uh, we have things like code detection that get you the chunks of text you're actually caring about. Like if you wanted to make email look like SMS, for example, you could do that quite simply
0: so you also have the newer (laughs) when you're talking about the parsing of information to make it usable you now get emoji and gifs like people are literally responding in business email with hearts or uh you know the different faces and you have to you get to now figure out what is the intent of the face did they mean this in a positive or negative way is it used properly like there's all kinds of different things that are part of it like we've become as a species, right? We're, we're communicating more with imagery than ever. Is that also part of, I mean, I'm assuming that's definitely part of your roadmap trying to figure out GIFs, GIFs, images, all kinds of stuff.
1: That's right. No, I mean, the emojis is definitely a way to go. Um, So far, the emoji interpretation um, seems to be, seems to exist in a fairly constrained possibility space. Just human language itself is full of ambiguity, even before you bring GIFs into it. I do prefer the hard G. Uh, Okay. Yeah. Sorry.
0: (laughs) By the way, recently, only recently my kids made fun of me saying like the, it's not peanut butter, dad. I'm like, what?
1: (laughs) (laughs) You got got to push back. Assert assert dominance. Make sure the the hard G uh, lives on. But no, I'm, I'm, I'm joking. But right. But like people often curse in their emails, right? Yeah. How do you know whether it's in a good context or a bad context? These are interesting questions to solve, but like the bigger thread is, how do we understand not just the um, nature of one message, but the pattern of interaction history between people? And how do we improve that over time? How do we add additional productivity, additional collaboration, additional engagement into that system? And the, the way things are trending is you have to do it through technology and you can do it through people, but it'd just be a lot more work and a lot more expensive. If you're driving for uh, efficiency and growth, you're going to want to do it through technology because it will free up so much more time and space just mentally for
0: folks to get done what they should be focusing on so for yourself i mean now is solving so many there's so many opportunities right so many pathways to go where are you trying to focus where is your company trying to focus over the next five years which problems are you trying to most focus in on and solve because you can't solve them all there's there's tons of problems and opportunities in business communication applications that uh you know <laughs> that you could go and attempt to solve
1: and there's a tremendous amount of uh, opportunity on the market, that's, that's for sure. For us, we're focused on building the best sort of a uh, tool set possible for folks. So uh, a lot of what we focus is on is how do we generalize the problem space? Uh, how do we make sure we're not building an API for, for sales tools or an API for uh, video conferencing software? How do we instead make sure that we're building APIs and front-end components for productivity infrastructure uh, that's agnostic to industry segment. Obviously, for a few of those things, uh, when we're talking about like deep ML applications, there's just never going to be a way to generalize it. If you're building having to build a model off of a uh, either proprietary data set or a very specific even to a company data set, that's one side of things. But when it comes to just raw functionality, what are all the different ways that you can give a customizable tool? That's what we focus on. And for us, the challenges comes down more in how do we make sure that we're delivering a Excellent developer experience, and uh, in terms of product roadmap, how do we make sure that we're not competing with our own customers? Because I think, like, fairly reliably, whenever we have a, a new product manager or a new uh, like staff engineer start, the first instinct to go is like, I can just build. I, I won't name any names, but I can just build a lot of these companies I can, in a weekend. I can build all of uh, X Y Z customers tool because uh, it's a, a very simple from the technology standpoint. It's like, yeah, maybe, uh, but as a company. One, their core uh, value add to the world is not going to be around the technology side of how do they sync the data back and forth. It's a lot of their distribution and the way they provide their customers with value. But two, for us as a company, we don't want to compete with our customers. We want to enable them. Yeah, We want to make sure that they're more and more successful over time because that's fundamentally how we distribute our APIs and how we, we monetize. It's broadly usage-based, so... The more value people get from our APIs, the better we're off as a company.
0: There you go, smart man. Yes, you can of course build what is being built on your platform, but then you won't have a platform to build on. You'll just be a product. That's right. You'll be well, not not just just a product, but you of course won't be a developer's product, developer platform.
1: That's right. No, I mean I see it a lot, like um, especially in, on when we were doing fundraising, folks really wanted because they're a little bit easier to understand and they're a lot faster to distribute. Uh, us to go up into that application layer. Why not build your own superhuman? Why not build your own Zoom Mm -hmm. and just get user data by getting usage of your end tool? And that's one approach, sure, but I suspect that the right answer has to come from that abstraction layer. Uh, The the way I sort of see it is that there's this huge war being fought right now and it'll be resolved over the next five years for sure uh, over the means of software production. The next trillion dollar company will absolutely be the one that figures out how to own the means of software production, how Amazon is, is definitely uh, going in that direction. How do you make sure that when people are building a new software flow, that they are touching your company in some way, because software is going to keep growing, keep eating the world because it just keeps providing additional leverage and utility to people. You could do that from the hardware level. The the AWS infrastructure level is a great approach to that. You have to host the software somewhere. Mm -hmm. We're taking it from the functionality standpoint, how we build the robust building blocks, the the picks and shovels, the uh, Lego set, the IKEA furniture that people need to build a lot of the most common and most powerful and valuable interaction flows that are out there. Uh, and I think that answer can only come from the infrastructure space, because if you start in the app layer, you're too stuck into that one use case and servicing that one use case and doesn't free you up to focus on the breadth of the market opportunity.
0: Well, there's two industries that I'm, I think speak the way you talk about it. There's two industries, I think, that are on their path. Um, I mean, th- these are already known commodities, huge companies, but uh, HashiCorp. Yep. It's really difficult to develop any cloud applications without using HashiCorp to manage your cloud resources now. So like they're they're truly like picks and shovels now. And uh, the next thing is going to be, I do strongly believe in RPA automation mm-hmm. because that's going to be a temporary stopgap. If someone can't build an application to communicate, like if someone can't use Nylas to communicate between two tools, uh, whatever they're using, you know they'll they'll use RPA to go around it and just be like, well, I can literally have my computer. Like click around it the whole time.
1: That's exactly right. Yeah. And RPA for
0: us is a a very active space. There you go. Oh, man. So you've shared a lot. And what's time for now, though, is from our sponsors, The Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is brought to you by the Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Gleb, this is where we ask you quick, fast questions about your life away from Nylas so our audience can get to know you a little better. You ready? All right. Let's do it. All right. You shared with me that you were an immigrant to the United States a little earlier. Where did you immigrate from, for our audience?
1: From uh, St. Petersburg in Russia.
0: How old were you when this happened?
1: Oh, I would have been uh,
0: six or so. When you first came to America, how were you treated?
1: Fairly well. I grew up in an immigrant neighborhood in Atlanta called uh, Beeford Highway, neighborhood long road uh, called Beeford Highway. And I was surrounded by a lot of folks and similar immigrants from a bunch
0: of different uh, Vietnamese, Mexican, a bunch of different uh, countries. Awesome. Immigrant parents are notorious for pushing education upon their kids. Were your parents the same way? Yeah, absolutely. No, my mother was a single mom. Uh, It was myself, my mom,
1: my grandmother, and my little brother in a one bedroom when we first moved to Atlanta. And I still remember her waking me up at like, uh, you know, in my memory, it's like 4am, though, likely (laughs) thinking back on it, it was probably like 11pm. But waking me up at any rate uh, and making me recite like multiplication tables uh, and like similar uh, similar things on those lines. I think like education is absolutely a, a core value to a lot
0: of immigrant families. All right. So here is where we're leading up to the fun question. Now, you also alluded to earlier in the conversation that you did not actually finish Georgia Tech. How did your parents feel? How did your mom feel about that? Or were they OK since you didn't finish because you had you already had a job lined up?
1: Um, no, she it's, it's not a uh, she didn't love it. it's not a badge of honor (laughs) in my mind i I, at one point i'd love to love to go back right but it was the difference between um doing something that i wasn't enjoying i i had always thought of myself like oh i'm gonna go into the sciences i'm gonna do this and that but then like seeing the reality of academia it wasn't for me and it took a full like two-year depression cycle uh for me to figure that out and like embrace that as part of my core identity but um comparing that to being out in industry making money solving new problems it was so much more motivating and exciting so uh, i i think like my thankfully my mother supports me just from a uh, she sees that i'm
0: way happier perspective listen um you and i are thinking very similarly although i'm not in software development but I like to think of myself as a learner, but I don't like to think of myself as a student because I would not I did not do well in school. <laughs> yeah. Your Twitter profile says you're into physics and you are an astronomy geek by night.
1: That's right. Yeah. The only podcast I regularly listen to is uh, Astronomy Cast. Uh, shout out to them. If you're looking for a new podcast, it's a, a great uh, one to listen to. But yeah, I'm, I'm I'm hugely excited. We've got what next week, a week from now, we have the Planetary. Alignment happening between Jupiter and Saturn. If you go out at night, you'll be able to see. Um, I think it's something like for the uh, first time in 600 years, they're going to be that close together. Uh, well, once in a lifetime event for sure. You'll be able to, to see all the moons of Jupiter and Saturn together,
0: just in the same place with just one set of strong binoculars. Okay. So there are multiple companies right now trying to figure out how to get the common civilian into outer space for space tourism. If this comes to fruition and you can afford it, Will you be buying a ticket to space
1: oh one hundred percent yeah, yeah no i'm I'm in the camp of um send me a one way
0: ticket to mars and i'll I'll sign up for it there you go you want you want to be one of the first colonizers that's right. I've seen aliens, man it's a bad idea, it's a bad idea well, don't put your face in the eggs <laughs> yeah yeah if you go if you go somewhere and there's eggs don't keep, don't walk near them and be like that's not good. don't poke <laughs> them <laughs> Gleb, I want to thank you for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Thanks for sharing your background story and your the future of Nylas.
1: Excellent. Thank you so much. Really appreciate the time here.
2: IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experiences, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform.